Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be with you on this Sunday. Um, I want to give a shout out to, we've got Overflow Room this morning at 10 a.m. Shout out to Overflow Room. We see you. Uh, Our online church family, we are just so grateful that you are here with us today. Um, I am going to start off by saying grace and peace to you from God, our Father, the Lord, Jesus Christ. If we haven't met before, my name is Kate Swanson. I have the joy and honor of serving our church as executive pastor. And we are currently in our Grace and Peace series, studying Philippians. And as I prayed and prepared for this message, I felt the Lord made it really clear that we should go straight to the scriptures. So we're going to do that. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible, if you have it, if you want to open your digital Bible on your phone um, or watch the screens, we're going to dive into 19 verses in this letter that Paul sent to his friends, the church in Philippi. So we're going to start in Philippians 1:12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ that has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you and your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. This series and this study in Philippians is named from this greeting Paul extended of grace and peace. Pastor Lane dis- defined this salutation last week, sharing the phrase as, may you experience delight that only comes from God for you and through you, and may your relationships be harmonious 
and free of rage. These words, grace and peace, they're not something that I take lightly. If you've ever emailed me, yes, they are part of my email signature, but they have deep meaning to me. I pray that my interactions are filled with both of these things. I pray that the many vendors or account contacts that I email outside of our church, including banks, printing suppliers, utilities, lawn maintenance crews, just to name a few from this week, would see these two words and know that both are extended to them, no matter the circumstance, no matter where they're at in life. Grace and peace to you. I take these phrases so seriously. My husband, Tony, and I named our kids from these two words. Our son's name is Noah, which means peace and rest. Both of those words sound pretty good when you're expecting your first child, right? <laughs> and our daughter's name is Olivia Grace, Olivia coming from the root word olive and the symbolic meaning of the olive branch being peace. So her name is literally peace and grace. And we thought it was beautiful that the first place in the Bible where the word olive is used is when the dove brings an olive branch to Noah. So these two words have deep and powerful meaning in our family, and we speak them over our children, but it is also how they're to carry their names in all that they do. So how is Paul sharing this grace and peace greeting extended in this next, the next few paragraphs of this letter? Paul has given us a window into his current circumstances and how God is still moving in his life and in those around him. And he is offering deep encouragement to his dear friends. A bit of context on this letter. Paul helped start a 30 to 40 person church in Philippi, a Roman colony filled with many retired Roman soldiers. The Philippians became friends and supporters of Paul. They collected money to assist him in prison. And Paul is sharing these updates, but mainly appealing to how they should respond to hardship with joy. Paul is encouraging the Christians to have boldness and to proclaim the gospel without fear. I appreciated how Ninjay Gupta gave context to this letter. He said, it is important to read a text like Philippians, not as a general devotional, but as a finely calibrated set of arguments, aiming to convince his readers of something in particular. Paul's overarching goal was for his readers, auditors, to faithfully, joyfully, and freely embrace the fullness of the gospel. So let's take some time to unpack this second half of the first chapter. This is the part of the message where I say, buckle up, because we got 19 verses to study in the next 25 minutes. So here we go. <laughs> the first point from this section of finely calibrated arguments is this. Following Jesus means living out the gospel everywhere. This is for verses 12 through 14. Paul is sharing that the gospel has been advanced despite his imprisonment. Where Jesus followers could have easily been discouraged at Paul being thrown in prison and perhaps fearing that the same thing would happen to them, they actually pressed in and shared the gospel more fervently. The words to advance denotes making headway in spite of blows. Progress was being made amid difficulties. Paul has made it clear, not only to the Philippians, but those he is interacting with in prison, that he is in chains for Christ. Not just simply stating the fact that he believes, but that through God's omnipotence, Paul is placed in this time and space to share the gospel. He's sharing about Jesus with the imperial guards who were hand-selected to protect the emperor, 
who he was chained to day and night. He shared the gospel with anyone who came in his quarters, including members of the Jewish community, at least one Gentile mentioned in Philemon 10, and many Christian co-workers. Paul made it apparent to everyone that his relationship with Christ was the most important part of his existence. Paul was able to get the gospel from inside the prison walls out. Instead of falling into self-pity, he took every opportunity to make the gospel known. This is a radical statement on Paul's mindset where he could have easily become depressed. It would have had effects on the inside and the outside of the prison. He used this circumstance as a fresh opportunity to spread the word of God and encourage Christians in Rome to do likewise. I don't want to compare the kind of persecution that Paul faced to what we face daily. daily. Um, I'll be clear that there are different circumstances, but I believe his encouragements can be carried into our current cultural context. The instances that come to mind for me are people in your life who create a lot of friction, those who have singled you out or selected you as a target, those who find out a way, any way that they can to point out your flaws or faults or where you fell short. I interacted with someone like this at one of my previous workplaces and the words that just kind of kept repeating in my mind for lack of a better term were kill them with kindness. <laughs> it's not easy to face the bullies in our lives and yet we are called to still love them no matter what they have done to us. We are called to extend grace and peace. Paul's circumstances in the face of resistance emboldened other Christians in Rome we could suppose his imprisonment would concern Christians. Maybe they would go underground. Maybe to us today, that would look more like slinking back or choosing to avoid the tension of our faith. Even with Paul's dire circumstances, they drew courage from Paul's example. And it even says to a much greater degree. These daring acts that they stepped into, the text indicates no lessening of danger, but a new infusion of courage. The second point is this. We are called to preach Christ out of love. These are verses 15 through 18. In verse 15, some were preaching out of envy and rivalry. They were doctrinally orthodox, but at the same time mean and selfish, using the occasion of Paul's confinement to promote themselves. They were envious of Paul and stirred up discord within the Christian community and hoped to gain larger followings for themselves. So let's imagine how this would play out in our current day. Say one of the most pivotal spiritual leaders in your life is thrown in prison. You're unsure of the charges against them, and their face is kind of in that top right corner of every news outlet you flip through. Then other pastors, maybe Christian leaders, begin weighing in on these events, maybe speaking poorly about them. Articles start pulling up online. They post Instagram reels and YouTube videos with a few people sitting around discussing whether or not this leader lived the life that they should have. They're putting down the person that you've learned scripture from for years. Not too hard to imagine, is it? While Paul mentions there are noble leaders, there are a group of preachers who are insincere. Paul had no problem with the content of their message. It wasn't a doctrinal issue. It was a personal issue. And Paul isn't concerned with personal grievances with these preachers. He even says in the scripture, what does it matter? 
He knows the importance of the gospel and its proclamation, even by preachers whose motives were suspect. So we don't take the posture of envious preachers. We are called to preach Christ out of love. So what is our motivation? Are we sharing the love, the agape of God with those around us? Or could we be caught up pointing the finger right and left saying who hurt us and who's doing it wrong? If we're focused on the latter, we can take Paul's words to heart. What does it matter? In the end, our motives should be those of love for all around us. Let me point back to Pastor Lane's definition of peace. May your relationships be harmonious and free of rage. The third point from this section is this. God has you placed here for a reason. This is for verses 19 through 26. In this section, Paul is talking about his deliverance. We don't know if it's meaning from prison or literally life or death. And he shares that his deliverance is being accomplished by two means, the effective prayers of the Philippians on his behalf and the support of the Holy Spirit. If we interpret deliverance in the broadest sense, we understand that Paul is saying that regardless of the outcome of his immediate physical circumstances, he has every reason to believe and expect a spiritual victory to be his. Paul is looking forward at the projection of his life. He shares his hope and his sufficient courage, which conveys bravery and confidence no matter his fate. Paul wants Christ to be exalted, regardless whether his um, regardless of whether life or death could be the verdict of his body. Paul is not relying on his own, but the actions of the Holy Spirit to produce a result in response to many prayers. Paul states to live is Christ. This is the very essence of Paul's life. Christ has become the motive of his actions, the goal of his life and ministry, and the source of his strength. To die after such a life would only mean gain. Paul is saying that dying at the hands of Rome would be no tragedy in his eyes. Such a death would bear added witness to the gospel. It would confirm that Paul's faith was steadfast even to the end, and it would serve as a gateway into Christ's presence. I think it's important to make clear that Paul's not choosing his own fate here. Paul's on the razor's edge between life and death, a tipping point easily one way or the other. I love how Paul's giving us a pros and cons list in this section. I love a good pros and cons list. So he's going, to live is Christ, to die is gain. When you are bound in prison, what would you dream about? He's lying in prison, in chains, unfed, no medical care. Wouldn't you too dream of the day you would reach paradise with Jesus? Christ would restore all that Paul had lost, all the shame and torture and rejection and shackles, both physically and emotionally. He would be crowned and rewarded when he met his Savior on the other side of eternity. In the middle of Paul's pro-cons list, he says, I am torn, which depicts a person or object held at pressure from two sides, that, the, that movement in either direction is difficult or impossible. This kind of intense pressure makes me think of a football game. We watch a lot of football at our house. And occasionally the plays lead up to both teams on the one yard line, or even inches, right? The offense striving to move the ball just a short distance over the goal line, and the defense 
pushing to keep the ball held in its same place. And the play ends, and no change, change happens, and we yell at our TVs, <laughs> whether joy or sorrow. <laughs> Paul is sharing this impasse. Death at the hands of Rome would mean departure. It wasn't catastrophe. He saw immediate presence with the Lord. It was by far better because it would bring him to the goal of his Christian life. But there would be obvious advantages in ministry he could still perform if he were to remain alive. He is confident that the situation is in the Lord's hands and what occurred would bring glory to God. He says, I know I will remain. The need for his apostolic ministry outweighed his longing, his own longing to be with Christ immediately. Even as we understand Paul's pros, cons list in the middle of this grave situation, we know that God is using him in the midst of it. So often we doubt that God is in the middle of our situations, especially when they seem hopeless. A few months back, there were two people in our church family that were both hospitalized at the same time. Eldon Rose and Samantha Skaggs were both fighting infections and not allowed visitors during their stay. They were actually being discharged on the same day and both waiting on final details to be wrapped up to go. When Eldon and his wife Carla bumped into Chris, Samantha's husband, in the cafe at the hospital. Both families had joined Ken and Shalom Cutterford's group who had been asking them for updates on how they were doing and, and texting out updates on how to pray for both of them. The two families had been praying for each other, not realizing they were in the same place at the same time. And in the cafe, they stopped and they prayed for each other. At a moment where their family's physical health is in complete question, where they are exhausted and worn down in the middle of the unknown and so many question marks of what the future would hold, they both knew they needed Jesus and his healing power and they cared for each other, and they lifted each other up in prayer. I don't really believe that this was coincidence that they both were in the cafe at the same time. I think a few minutes either direction, they probably would have completely missed each other. But I think it's one of those glorious moments where we see that even in the midst of a dark situation, God has placed them in the right place at the right time. And so are you. God has you in your workplace, in your classroom, in your home, and maybe your choice of restaurant after church today <laughs> for a reason. It takes us stopping in the moment and embracing that you can carry the gospel to those around you. The last point is this. Stand firm in living a gospel-worthy life. This is for verses 27 through 30. And verse 27 is worth a reread. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is the primary exhortation of the whole letter in Philippians. Let's read it, read it again. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one 
for the faith of the gospel. Paul is saying that whatever happens, you should stand firm in one spirit. He is sharing that the responsibility of spiritual growth is ultimately resting on the Philippians. Whether Paul was released and saw them again, or Paul only heard or received letters of how they were doing, this statement is the same. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul uses the, uh, the verb which literally means to live as a citizen. When this phrase is repeated in the New Testament, it's not a political term, but Paul is sharing that their citizenship to the gospel as he relates to the proud Roman culture that they're in. Roman citizenship is a great privilege. Every Roman knew that good citizens cared for the welfare of the society. He's saying, look, you have a higher calling, a more significant citizenship. And there is unity found in the phrase one spirit and how they think and what they do. This denotes a man's highest center of motivation and his actions are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are to contend together in a joint effort. This is an athletic metaphor of teamwork as a reminder that a unified effort is needed to be victorious. They needed each other and we need each other. As a staff, we're continually in prayer about how Jesus is leading his bride, the Big C Church, and how he wants it expressed in the people of Red Hills. There's a reason why on Sunday mornings we have dream teams and not volunteers. You're not fulfilling a solo task. You're not just clocking in and out on good deed hours. We need the unity of now nearly 250 people opening doors, welcoming people, creating space, praying, holding babies, so that our entire church family can have an hour of worship and hearing the scriptures together. We need space for community. We have an entire team of groups hosts that are preparing to start in February, preparing to open their homes and print handouts and preview videos in hopes of connecting with you and drawing closer to God and his community. We're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it's been glorious to join with our global movement in praying for these specific things and setting aside time to pray and setting aside some of the things of this world that we're too tied to. And the thing that I have been praying recently, kind of first and foremost, is asking God, how do you want to draw people close to you through all of these spiritual disciplines, through these practices we have as a church family? How do we come together around hospita hospitality and prayer and solitude and scripture, worship, generosity, fasting, Sabbath, and many other means to the end of loving Jesus and living out that love to others? Paul is sharing to this church that in this athletic contest, in this conflict, as we are walking out our faith, there are people who will oppose you. There are antagonists to the Christian faith, and we will endure obstacles, dangers, and even catastrophes. And we are to hold firm. We don't give up. We don't fear the opposition. We rally around each other, and we strive towards our goal. So how do we reconcile what we've just studied 
the section has given us testimony and examples that Christ is our pattern, that we are to glorify Christ and be like him in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We get to partake in this life, in, in the joy and the suffering. And here's the larger picture that I believe Paul is sharing. How you handle the hardships in this life will tell the tale of your walk with Christ. When we hit hard seasons, are our worlds completely rocked? Or do we see them through the scriptures that we will face many trials and live out our faith as citizens of heaven, as Paul instructed? Now hear me out because there is tragedy and grief and there is welcome space for emotional processing. It all has a place to belong. But when the trials of this world come, do we stand firm in the faith? believing that God can grant us peace from the storm? Or do we crumble? Maybe instead of deep challenges, you're experiencing a waiting season. You're not sure what's next, so you're in a holding pattern. Do you see the struggle as shared space with Jesus? Do you view it for, through the lens that even as you wait, there is work to be done for the kingdom right where you are? Paul is in prison. He is trapped and waiting. It is believed that Paul was in prison for two years at this time, and he shares the gospel regardless of his circumstances. His letters don't share grumbling, whining, questioning, or even cursing God. He doesn't care what pressures of this world are around him or what others are saying. He only shares this, that his assurance is in God's salvation on earth and in heaven. So this is my urge to you. Don't let your circumstances defeat your testimony. And if we have failed at this task, we repent and we get back to the task of witnessing because this is our Christian citizenship, to serve our sovereign God and to care for others. I'm going to call our worship team up and we are going to take communion together. If you didn't get elements when you walked in, um, Kelly is kind enough. She's walking around with some if you, if you need some. But we're going to take out the bread. And you can flip over and open the cup. And just hold these in your hands for a moment. Following the Last Supper, Jesus goes to pray on the Mount of Olives. And in Jesus' anguish, he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. In that moment, Jesus knew that he could choose to surrender and not bear the agony of going to the cross. Yet he still remained in his suffering for you, for me. He offered his life as a living sacrifice for our eternal hope to be reunited with him someday. So I'm going to give some space really quickly. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and bow your heads for a moment. And I want to give space for whatever suffering you might be walking through. It could be depression. It could be betrayal. It could be disease. It could be loss. It could be waiting. Whatever pain you're feeling, know that it's shared space with Jesus in this moment.
So this cup and this bread, it represents the greatest sacrifice our God and our Savior made for you. And as you walk into whatever is next, let this be your prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. Take the bread and, and Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together. Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. I'm going to invite our prayer teams to the tables. They're kind of in the wings at each corner. If there's something that you were thinking of during that pause, something that's weighty or heavy in this moment, I am personally inviting you to come receive prayer. These prayer warriors will come alongside you confidentially, and they will join you in asking God to intercede. Don't carry this weight on your own. We need each other. There's no shame here, so feel free to come and receive. Let's worship together. <laughs>